Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Hey gang, Captain Mike Anderson here, the Real Animals Podcast presented by Contender Boats. This week's podcast, I'm having a great conversation with my good friend, Captain Brian Pounds. He's of Southern Fishing Charters over there on the Space Coast, Indian River, Mosquito Lagoon guy. He's become a really, really great friend of mine here over the last couple of years and uh, really, really enjoy talking to him. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Joining me here on the line, my very good friend, Captain Brian Pounds, Southern Fishing Charters. He is one of my go-to guys there on the east coast of Florida, Indian River Lagoon, Mosquito Lagoon, as well as he does some stuff there off Cape Canaveral and Cocoa Beach. Brian, you had the boat on the water today, huh? Breaking her in? Yes, sir. Finally. This has been been long overdue. It's not to have a boat built, but you know how it works out. But it never works out when it wants to, but... Uh, Finally got on the water today. Got her, got her broke in and get ready to burn the water up over well, tell, here. Tell me, tell me what the new toy is. You got to tell me what it is. I got with the guys down at Maverick Boat Group after 15 years of guide. We're on the Maverick Guide Program finally. Maverick Boat Group and the guys down there have been awesome. I got a brand new 2019 Maverick HPXV with a Yamaha 90 on it and is absolutely rides like a dream. Nice. Good for you. It's always fun. You get that fresh fiberglass smell and you get to roll around out there in your new toy. I can't wait. I got a new uh, Contender 25 Bay that they're supposed to uh, be cranking out here any day. So it's always a great day when you get that fresh fiberglass and splash it for the first time. That's pretty cool. Oh, my God. Yeah, that it is. I want to say the best sound in in the world is spider wire ripping through guides on a rod and the, and the best smell in the world is new fiberglass in the boat <laughs> or the gel coat. Roger that. Roger that. Well, especially where you are over there in the, the world of the uh, the shallow water, those type of boats do really, really well. Let's talk a little bit, Brian, about how you got just into being a charter captain to begin with. I want to kind of pick your brain on, I know you fit, you fished the butler chain and uh, some home assassin trips with your grandfather as a kid. Is that how this whole thing kind of started? Yes. Yeah, that, my dad, yeah, it all started uh, as a kid. You know, I cut my teeth on butler, you know, bass fishing with my grandfather, which is why he wasn't a, a guy back in the day. You know, that guy was just a bass god out there. And um, my grandmother, wanted, she wanted to condo at the beach. All the time I this, that, and other, which you got one. And then, you know, I kind of stayed with stayed with my grandparents, you know, being on the lake and at the beach in the summertime. And you know, we were out of school, and uh, my family would get together on the weekends. And then my dad and I started, you know, my dad fished Mosquito Lagoon way before I was even thought about. But, you know, then you know, I came along and we started fishing over there as a kid. And, you know, bass fishing was kind of my, my thing, but, you know, being stuck in freshwater, you know, you get the opportunity to go fish in salt. That's always like a treat, you know, and that's and that's what my dad and I would do just about every weekend. And I just yeah, I had a feel for it. You know, I loved it. I love trout. I love redfish. I can think back catching, you know, the big thing back in the day was trout, all trout. You know, got catch a couple hundred trout using little small trout tout grubs. But if you were to catch a redfish thinking back my dad would cut the line because the red was a, a trash fish nobody wanted them. i've heard that before from and, other guides uh, around florida who said the same thing that which to me makes no sense but you know yeah 
It's crazy. And uh, well, what's the old saying? Paul Perdomes, the one that the get the guy who made the redfish famous. Right, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. But uh, yeah, and just you know, growing up in the family business, you know, there's just too many chiefs and not enough Indians, and this and that and other. And I just, I there was there was always that love of fishing. And one day I just said, you know, I'm gonna get my captain's license. So, here you are. That was. 15 years ago, and, and here I am doing it for a living. I was going to say, you've, you've, the, kinda, you've the made it. The office life was not for me. You've made it over that hump. And I'm not sure yes. exactly what the day, the dates are, but, you know, it's once you get into that third renewal, I think, and you renew your captain's license every five years. So once you slide into that, you know, headed for year 15, somewhere right there, 10 to 15 years, it, it, you should have, if you can make it that long, you've got a shot. To make it, it yep, also you're, you're, it yep. also means you're tough and crazy, probably a little of all that <laughs> as well, to do it quite that long. But uh, yeah, but yeah. I get it, I get it. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Butler chain before we get too salty, because I want. I've been on the Butler chain several times, and I I, I want to imagine that years ago when you were a kid, not trying to date you because you're you're younger than I am, but what was the Butler chain like 25 years ago? You know, fishing with my grandfather, it was all wild shiners. You know, we, so much, well, we didn't have these these uh, raised shiners that everybody used. It was wild shiners. He would throw a net. You know, he'd throw out his oatmeal on the dock. He'd throw out uh, old dog food. You know, he kept those fit, the shiners trained. And when he would throw it out, he'd one cast with a cast net. You know, we'd get a couple dozen, and, and we fished out of an old Orlando Clipper bass boat. I don't know if you remember that. I don't, but it sounds like it sounds yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, they were they were old, and uh, he had a twenty four foot Harris pontoon boat, and that's what we would go fishing in. No worms, no plugs, just free line and shiners. You know, on a float or free line, and it grow it. We were catching five to ten pound bass every time we would go out there with shiners. Wow. I mean, it was insane. You know, and I was five, six, seven years old, you know, getting up to ten. And, you know, it's just, as he got older, you know, he started slowing down a little bit. But my dad was the same way. It was all, all shiners, wild shiners, no, no ray shiners. Huh. And um, that, that was, that was, that was kind of like, uh, tarpon candy with a crab, you know, right. wild shiners is what we would do. You know, as time changed, you know, then it went to the, the old the plugs and then rubber worm fishing. But I noticed over the years of fishing on Butler, you know, getting older, that the bass seemed to start getting smaller, 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 and smaller. So I say in the good old days, just, they're not here anymore. But, you know, those fish are there, but it's not like it was when I was growing up. And right. then. You know, th- then it started to turn. It was the rubber worm fishing, and we, you know, we would do that. We'd always drag a shiner out behind the boat. You know, it's kind of. But you know, over the years, it's like that lake has changed so much. You know, growing up, there was orange groves all around that lake, and you'd have you know, some houses here and there. But that lake is just covered up with multi-million-dollar homes now. Everybody wants to move there, and. Well, and jet skis, and, I mean, you know, there's yeah, jet, a lot of jet ski traffic it. and all that stuff. And for those who don't know, I, I'm, I'm talking to you about the Butler Chain of Lakes, like every person that's listening knows where the Butler Chain is, but the Butler Chain is over there 
in uh, the Orlando area. And it's a beautiful chain. Uh, that's the, the chain that Sha- Shaquille O'Neal had the house on, right? He may still have one there. I don't know. Uh, yes, he, he still has it there. Okay. Well, we would be fishing as teenagers when the, uh, you know, late, uh, late teens, early twenties when the magic, you know, was booming and all those, a lot of the magic players were out there. I remember seeing, uh, Shaq, uh, Dennis Scott, uh, Anthony Hardaway. Nice. Um, oh gosh, there's a couple other magic players that were out there that we would see on jet skis all the time. They would all just get. It's almost like you see a bunch of guys on their Harleys, you know, on the highway <laughs> right. on the weekend. They were just all riding to get Jeff Turner. That's the guy I'm thinking oh, about, yeah, okay. the guy that played for the Magic. Yeah. We would see them out there all the time. And actually, they, you know, you get aggravated bass fishing because those guys are running all over you. But, you know, they they were pretty cool. You know, we'd see them on the lake. They'd wave at us. They got yeah. to know us. And, sure. You know, growing up being a kid, that was pretty cool. Well, that's Orlando Magic players in the Orlando area. Go figure they'd be popular. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I it's actually crazy. owned a I actually owned a jet ski the first time I was on the Butler chain. It was by jet ski years and years ago. We had a neighbor with a boat and I had a jet ski and we went out there and messed around the whole Saturday and Sunday and had some cold adult beverages and looked at all the big houses and all that. So it's a it's a beautiful chain over there. So the the other thing I noticed from checking on your bio was you spent a bunch of time in Homosassa. Yes, we, you know, we, my dad, I'd be honest with you, my dad, it's a funny story. He, um, I don't know a lot of people are familiar with Willie Robert Skiffs. They were built, um, I want to say down South Florida, kind of Tavernier area. And, um, it was kind of related to the old Slowpoke or the Shypoke Skiffs that were built in Homosassa. Okay. But I grew up fishing, you know, the old school Mako. Remember they had the yellow Jellicoat floral? Yep. Jellicoat floral. You remember that? The old school. Yeah. My dad my dad had a 17, a little little bay model, what they would call back in the day, and he had a big offshore boat. And um, we would fish, you know, in, over here in Mosquito Lagoon in a river in a small one. You know, we'd go out of Port Canaveral in a big one. But he just decided one day he was done with those big boats, and he wanted to get in the flats fishing and, you know, more cost efficient, you know, and um, he bought the last Willie Roberts skiff that was built, one of the originals. As a matter of fact, Willie Roberts died halfway through building that boat, and um, that was that was the deal, and he had a bunch of friends that were just going to Homosassa every weekend and, and just living life over there, and so Dad and I started, I was in high school, eight years of high school. And we started fishing in Homosassa every weekend we rode there. He bought that flats boat, and that was like a second home to us over there. <laughs> right. I get it. Well, it, it, sound like a, uh, it sounds like a be- blessed childhood, and I'm not real surprised that you would gravitate yourself to that to, to make a living as an adult. You know, growing up bass fishing there with your grandfather and your father, and then, you know, being able to enjoy Homosassa, an area that I can't even imagine. It's spectacular fishing now in Homosassa, Florida, and the Crystal River area, that whole area over there, the Chaz. Um, but I can't even imagine what it was years ago. I mean, you fish it now. Is, is that one of those areas, kind of like the Butler chain, where there's, you know, just a big difference in the fishery? It was. You know, back then, we would go out. We'd check the tides. You know, we, we started learning it. We'd always go out on a low tide to start learning that place because there's a lot of real estate under the water over there sure. <laughs> that yeah. you don't see on a high yeah. tide but 
we started fishing. That's how we learned that area. And we would throw the old school Johnny Rattler top water plugs all day long over there. And, and back in Chaz, we fished a lot. And that's kind of, we just all top water over there. Nice. And we would just catch redfish till we were just done, ready to go <laughs> home. You know, it's good times. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. That's super cool. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, Southern fishing charters. So you fish predominantly Indian River, Mosquito Lagoon area. Yes, yeah, mainly north northern end of the Indian River and all of Mosquito Lagoon. Um, I mainly like to say all of Mosquito Lagoon. A lot of people think that Mosquito Lagoon is just one big body of water with not a lot of islands. But once you guy, I normally stay south of Oak Hill down to Whale's Tail. Yeah. You know, close to the launch complex. And, you know, north, there's a lot of islands, oyster bars, you know, that run up towards New Smyrna. But um, I have focused mainly everything from George's Bar down to the south end. And uh, redfish and trout and black drum is kind of my, my specialty is what I kind of stay in. I used to complain for years uh, when I was doing the radio show and I was still, at the time, I was fishing the Redfish Tournament Trail. And I had... Titusville and Jacksonville lumped together in a word I just mm-hmm. called the Vills because the, the Vills, f- the Vils. it's just the Vills. We're headed for the Vills, which means you had to, we were either headed for Jacksonville or we were headed for Titusville. And that meant that I was completely out of my comfort zone because Jacksonville has those six, seven, eight foot tides, you know, a, a little tide yeah. moves four feet there. So you'd be fishing a mm-hmm. creek one night. Uh, one afternoon and catch a bunch of redfish. And then overnight, at some point, there would be zero water in that creek, which would mean all the fish right. would have to pour back out into the river. And then there's 8 million creeks that all look the same, that all have mullet, that all have oyster bars, that all have. So why necessarily would they come back up this creek? So Jacksonville was always on my list of very tough places to fish. And another place that I really struggled to get dialed in was Titusville. And I think that's because it's so shallow. There's so much shallow water there that I just, you know, it just took me a while to really figure that place out. And I finally did and finally took a few checks out of there. But it took me a while to get dialed in to what makes Titusville click. Now, I know you've had some water issues in the lagoon over the last couple of years. What kind of shape is Mosquito Lagoon in today? You know, it's 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 I'm on the fence about it. it. You know, I remember less than five years ago. You know, the last say more than that, really. I 2006 to 2012 were really the hot the hot deal over here. They were fish everywhere, and then we started getting these. These algae blooms started coming in out of nowhere, you know, and, and I, I don't, and, and it's right now, it's like, I still don't, you know, everybody wants an answer why this has happened. You know, you can't argue with Mother Nature, but something, something is going on. Um, I'm seeing less and less grass out there. I mean, it's starting to come back now. Um, it, it's, it's, we have a lot of manatees eating the grass, and what grass is left, you know, they, if you want to go out and do manatee looking, you'll go for manatee tours. You just find a grass flat, and there's hundreds of them on there. Um, you know, I don't. I, nobody really knows what's causing call, this algae bloom. You know, mm-hmm. number one, you know, there's not as much many fish like there used to be. When you go out and catch twenty to forty 
redfish a trip. You go out there and catch 10 to 15 right now, you've had a stellar day. And, you know, there's there's those days you can catch 20 to 25 trying to stay on that school. Um, you know, the, I, I, flats fishing is just a big craze over here, and I think there's just more, more and more pressure on these fish while they're not around. Right. Um, you know, those, the saying is, you know, you go out there and catch – you know, two fish a day for a month. I mean, that's, you know, that's what 60, say 31 days a month to catch two fish. Now you're looking at that at 62 fish you've taken out of a school and the school may only be, you know, a hundred fish. I mean, and, and, and that guy keeps two, that guy keeps two red fish per day. Sure. You're going to wipe out a school in two months. Well, you know, and I, mean, I think many, that's happening a how lot. Many, how many guides are there? I mean, uh, right now in our, in our zone, uh, in the, the canal uh, National Seashore. I want to say there's 72 guides, and that stretches, uh, you know, all the way from New Smyrna all the way down to Merritt Island. Um, they put a cap on it uh, a couple of years ago. So you, the guys who had their permits are grandfathered in, really? and, and you know, you, and, oh yeah, and, and new guys that are getting their captain's license, they have to. Don't hold me to this, but this is the rumor. This is the word that's going around. If you get your captain's license and want to fish in the Merritt Island or Canaveral National Seashore, there's 70 permits. Somebody has to die or somebody has to wow. give it up. And they put it on a lottery for these new guides to be able to get a permit to fish over here. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they they put a cap on it, and uh, I want to say they did that. Canaveral National Seashore was handling the lagoon, but now Florida Fish and Wildlife is managing it now. Now, so they've they've changed entities, you know, who's doing this. And when Florida Fish and Wildlife got in there, that's when they put a cap on it. What does that encompass when you talk about that? What do we? I mean, what is is it that they you? you are we talking about the lagoon, or are we talking about the Indian River and that whole stretch up there from the north, including the well, lagoon? Right. Well, there's certain parts, basically all Mosquito Lagoon, um, and then there's certain parts in the river that are still part of the national park. I mean, Mosquito Lagoon's a national park. Right. Okay. Kind of the same way, you know, down in the Everglades. You know, I don't know how they're, how they're managing that down there. I don't know if they put a cap on some of those guys. I don't, I don't know either. But, That's a good question. Right. But, right. But, you know, when we have a government shutdown... We can't fish, you know. It, it, well, there, there's, there's, you know, there's guidelines on there. Depends on what part of the government shutdown there is, you know. And it, it, this last one, we've been fortunate, you know. They didn't shut everything down. We're still allowed to fish in the lagoon, but, but yeah, it's it's all all government stuff, and they're 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 putting caps on, and they, you know, they're really starting to manage the area a lot more. And people are getting more involved, you know, as far as the water quality and everything. It's it's. They're they're trying to put their finger on it to find out you know what what our issue is over here. Well, and are you getting so you're getting basically algae blooms that is that are that are killing the seagrass. But are we having are we having fish kills at all? I haven't seen any fish okay. kills. Right. It's just the seagrass and right. the water turns your pea green. Yeah, hmm. it's just not a red tide. It's just killing the grass beds and those fish. You know, you you find that grass flat. That's that's where the fish are. Well, there, you know, there's a couple couple flats scattered out through the lagoon right now, and if you know, you, you particularly one flat down south. I mean, there's there's grass all over it. You want to go there? It's funny because just off of the grass line or the grass flat, the water is dirty. 
and you get on top of that grass flat, the water is clean. Well, that grass doing its, it's job. It's kind of funny how that up. happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. clean, cleaning it. Sure, sure. Well, and that's probably part of the reason years ago that the lagoon was so fishy because the whole thing was mm-hmm. a giant grass flat, so it would stay pretty clean exactly. even in windy conditions, right? Sure. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Using that that grass was like a big giant filter system for it. Keeping, exactly. Yeah, keeping yes. things right. Well, and the other thing that people don't think about in this scenario, my mind right away goes to the, the grass creates the estuary for the crabs and the shrimp. I mean, right. the crabs use all that for cover. The redfish get in there Correct. and feed on those crabs. It's it's uh exactly you know it's like rolling into the parking lot of McDonald's and like Oop, grass flat. yes yeah so. That's interesting. That's interesting. And people don't, you know, people have to understand how just how important that is to that ecosystem, you know, and, and, and how important it will be to get those grass flats healthy again. Hopefully it's cyclical. We've seen some of that here on Tampa Bay. I remember um, areas here on Tampa Bay that I fished before I was guiding. Um, in July of 2019 here will be 19 years officially that I've been a charter captain on Tampa Bay. And before... I started guiding here. There was some really incredible grass flats where you could always go and catch speckled trout, always. You know, four right. foot of water, five foot of water with just beautiful plush grass, all kinds of life in it. And I remember for probably a good seven or eight year stretch, that grass was gone. It just left. Mm-hmm. It was just barren, mud flat. Um, right. But in the last couple of years, it's come back pretty strong. So hopefully, right. maybe you know, maybe that maybe it's a cycle of some kind, and and we'll see a return to that seagrass over there in Lagoon. You know, after I spent all that time over there complaining about the vills, and then you know, once you kind of figure that place out a little bit and know, you know, where you can run and where you can't run and where you can get your bay boat and where you can't get your bay boat and all those things, right. and you start to catch fish over there, it's an incredible fishery. I mean, it's so oh, it much is. fun and so beautiful, and you guys have you know those. I don't know how many massive speckled trout I've seen on the north end of that Indian River up there. I've never caught one, which I'm not sure they eat. I think it's a myth. But uh, you know, there's that every day sometimes. <laughs> so many big, beautiful trout up there. I used to complain that it was like, you know, every cover of every magazine has these giant six-pound speckled trout. You know, Indian River Lagoon, and I'm like, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like a unicorn, like. I see the yeah. pictures, but I've never exactly. been able to catch one of those fish. And we've caught a few of them. I think my biggest one over here was 31 inches. That's been a couple of years back. But, you know, we filmed, uh, what was that, two years ago? We caught one that was, what, 28, 29? Yeah, a big one, yep. yep. That one episode. And yeah, that was out of, out of nowhere. We thought it was a tarpon when he hit. Yep. Couldn't pick, quite figure out what was going on. That was probably, that's probably, I've had a 27 on Tampa Bay. That a customer caught, but that probably that fish from that episode I filmed with you was probably the biggest trout ever for me. Well, you know what? I had some with Mark Nichols from DOA two years ago when we were sponsored by DOA. Mm-hmm. That were Mark caught one that was just absolutely ridiculous. It was like thirty-two inches long, and it I thought it was a snook. You can hear me during the filming. I'm like, that's a big snook right there, and he's like, it's a trout. I'm like, there's no <laughs> way that's a trout, bro. And he, sure enough, it came up the side of the boat. It was a massive yellow mouth trout it was incredible so you guys that whole coast over there seems to get some of those really really big speckled trout is there a reason for that over there do you know 
Uh, you know, they come in the best time of the year of ice. I mean, I catch them year-round. You know, i got clients, so clients, it's called, you know, 24 to 27s. But it seems like uh, December and January are always a really good month to catch the big trout. And it seems like that bite is always in the middle of the day at the warmest point, super shallow water. You know, and you get a good spot. You know, in the wintertime, the water cleans up over here. But, you know, if you get real super shallow water, you know, you can be, in, you know, with the grass, you'd be a foot of water, barely be able to run the trolling motor, and you look and you'll find that one magic pothole that has seven or eight big stud trout just laying in them. And, and what's, uh, what's the bait of choice then? How do you do that with such shallow water? Exactly. You know, when it cleans up for the trout, it's, I'd like to use a mirror lure little dog. Any color doesn't matter. I like to get it, you know, on a weighted hook. Get it to bounce off the bottom where that sand, that little, I call it a smoke plume, little sand plume. Right. When that bait hits the bottom and it, it that, mm, excuse me, that gets the, the trout fired up. But, you know, sometimes you can see that same scenario, super shallow water, and have, you know, quite a few redfish laying in it. Of course, you know, I like to use a lot of cut bait. You know, I do use artificial, but, the biggest, some of the biggest trout that I've caught over here have all been on cut mullet or cut pinfish. Right. And, and people think I'm crazy. And I said, you know, so I call a 31 inch trout. Would you catch it on cut mullet? Yeah. Red fishing. You know, it's yeah. like a fluke. You catch it. Sure. And people think I'm crazy when I'm telling them that. You saw that that day we filmed. Yeah. We caught that big trout on cut mullet. Well, and, and I, but you it's know, just. They, they tend to, even over here. You know, you'll be fishing a massive school of redfish where you got, you know, white bellies flashing for 30 yards in every direction. And a customer will invariably at some point on a cut thread fin will catch a stud trout. You know, something for us in mm-hmm. the stud here on the, you know, Florida or on the west coast of Florida here, you know, 20 to 24, 25 inches. And you're just like, what, what were you doing in there, bro? Were you lost? You're hanging out with the red fishies today. So, yeah, that's, exactly. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So what's your biggest red fish? Or, or, biggest... or, you, or you could catch the, the, that one loader black crumb in the middle of the school of red. Right. That happens over here all the time. Yeah. yeah <laughs> He's no definitely doubt. lost. So what's your biggest red fish? What, talk to me. What's, our, what's, our, what's the record that Brian Pounds is trying to surpass? Well, my, my personal biggest red is about 30 pounds. However, hmm. Uh, not last year, but the year before, right when the spawn was happening, it was right before the big hurricane came in, and um, she had hooked one about 44 pounds. And so my wife actually, she holds the record on everything, don't they all? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, listen, if I was a redfish and I was 44 pounds and I was like going to do battle, it would not be with your wife. I'd just tap out. I would just be like, no, oh, I'm gosh. Like, she's she's going to beat you. And there's this funny story to that. I actually had a client that likes to fish by himself all the time, and he absolutely loves Amy. And he's like, tell Amy to come out with us. So she's kind of out there doing her paparazzi thing with the camera. She, you know, she just <laughs> likes to sip on a, a cold beer and just kind of take everything in. She's not She doesn't like to fish that much, but... So, Les, he said, let's, let's go up there and see if we can find those big reds. I'd love to see Amy catch one of the breeders. So I'm like, well, let's, let's go up there and check it out. So we went there, just perfect. Like I just, it, 
you know, if, if you pull up in there in a scenario that get any better, the fish are tailing in front of us. Threw a piece of cut bait out, and it, I had the reel. I had the handle on the reel on the wrong side. Knowing that when I threw it out, but, you know, when when you got situations like that, you just want to get the bait in the water. And once the bait's in the water, like, I mean, I should have done something. Yeah, I should have changed this. But anyway, <laughs> the fish picked it up and took off. I actually set the hook for her. She didn't really know what was getting ready to happen. So in the middle of the fight of that fish, I had to change the handle on the reel. Wow. Oh, yeah. So that was, that was a, that was a, catastrophe right there so I, I we got it done got the handle changed and she fought that fish for about 15 to 20 minutes a little longer than what i like to, to, to keep them hooked up for but we got it in and uh took a couple pictures and it, it it took two of us to get the fish in the boat it was so big it's probably one of the biggest ones i've ever put in the boat and it was just my wife caught it and i, I you know I, she's like i'm retiring now yeah so. yeah yeah, you know, and it was just one of those moments that doesn't happen every day, and it, it, you know, the, the fish stretched across both of us, and it was all I could do to get it in the boat, and, and you know, we got it revived, took a little little extra time to get him going, but it, you know, it, it all worked out, and it was just one of those one of those memories on the water that you'll never forget. Well, that's what being a fishing guide so, is all about making those uh, making those special. Special memories. You and I have had a bunch and some great days out there on the water. Now you do some stuff yeah, out of sure. Cape Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach too, huh? Yeah, we do. You know, we it's, it's we try to target the redfish out there at the Black Drum. Which this year in January we had a really good run of redfish. They were thousands of them out there, Mike. When I say thousands, I'm not exaggerating. There were thousands of redfish. Um, the water got real clean. It was just, it got right, and uh, a lot of black drum out there. Triple tail are really thick right now when the booze and floating debris. And um, I'm, I'm waiting for May to get here. Uh, I think we're probably going to be before May. I'm waiting on that tarpon run, the mullet run, and try to catch some of those tarpon, you know, sure. that we got on the beach that are migrating. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm getting fired up. Yeah, that sounds but, cool. Um, so I don't do a lot of like offshore, offshore. Mainly everything's on the beach. You know, we get to school the jacks. Sometimes we get the kingfish about three miles out. And, you know, we just slow throw plugs or fast throw plugs for them. And um, you know, tarpon, jacks, black drum reds. You know, that's kind of kind of what we do. We stay inside the land. You know, we don't really go out there too far. But um, you know, something something a little different. Certain times of year, it's kind of a seasonal thing. Well, yeah, it's good to be. It's good to be versatile in what you do. You know, over here I'm doing snook redfish trout and then kingfish. You're doing kingfish season and permit and tarpon. And, you know, it's really in today's world as a fishing guide, that's kind of what you just have to do to stay in the game. Captain Brian Pounds, Southern Fishing Charters. Phone number is 407-702-3643. You can go to Charters FL. Dot com and check him out. One of my very favorite people, Brian. I can't wait to get over there and film with you again. I really appreciate you giving me a little bit of time today to uh, to chat with you, and uh, hopefully the listeners will enjoy uh, the insight from one of my favorite people. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Oh, yes, sir. My pleasure. Anytime, Mike. Give me a jingle anytime, sir. Right, I'll do it, brother. Tell your bride I said hello, all right? I will do it. I'll kiss her on the lips for you. <laughs> boy. Be good, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right, buddy. Pleasure, buddy. See you, pal. Yes, sir. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. You know, I always love 
getting to spend time with some great charter captains here uh, in Florida and around the United States, but getting to dive into, you know, where their passion came from, you know, for Brian spending all that time fishing the Butler chain in Homosassa with his dad, you know, and now I've spent time with him on the water and it's easy for me to see why he's such a great charter captain over there. He's so much fun to fish with. So hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Real Animals Podcast is presented by Contender Boats. Check out Contender Boats today at Contender Boats. Dot com And uh, remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Remember that we'll be putting up new episodes just about every Tuesday, so make sure you don't miss that. If there's anybody out there you would like us to try to get with for one of these Real Animals podcasts, you can reach out to me on Facebook at Facebook slash Real Animals. You can check us out on Instagram at Real Animals TV or on Twitter at Real Animals Fish. Hope you guys are having a great day. We'll be back talking to you soon. This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I really have to say Plant City is one of my favorite spots in Tampa. I love going out there, strawberry picking, just enjoying the scenery. There's so many cute little places and everyone is just so friendly and it really has kind of that old-fashioned style, like relaxed way of life and there's always something new going on. They have a couple of um, restaurants that are really hidden gems in my eyes. One of them is the Smokehouse, which I forget the name of it because it's always one of those places, but it's actually called Smoke and Aces. I like to call it the Smokehouse because they have some of the best wings I've ever had in Tampa. They are just so friendly. Every time you go in there, it's very laid back. Their food is just off the chain. Their wings, I promise you, once you try their wings, you're not going to want to have wings anywhere else. I only wish that they were closer because it is quite a drive. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.